to this week's episode of the OG Ops Podcast. I'm your usual host, Jordan Henderson, as opposed to your sometimes host, Brandon Redlinger, who is my guest today, Brandon. <laughs> I'm the guest today now? Is, is that what you just said? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're just, right, a, okay. yeah, you know, just a guy who kind of shows up sometimes, you know. Yeah. My co-host. Yeah, hey, you go. There it is. The usual co-host. That feels much it felt, better. It Appreciate felt worse it. coming out of my mouth. <laughs> But welcome, Brandon. Everybody knows you. We don't, don't need an introduction. But we're joined today by Elliot Leonard, who is a frequent listener and has actually provided an audio question. So you guys have heard his voice before. In the past. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hey, hey. How's it going? Yeah. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Elliot, thanks for coming. Uh, Guide CX, right? That's where you're at right now? Do a brief intro. Tell the audience <laughs> who you are, what you do, why you're here, whatever, <laughs> favorite color, yeah, for sure. For sure. Favorite color. Yeah, so Elliot Leonard, I am a big data guy. I've been doing data, so I, I do all sorts of different data things for GuideCX right now. We're a project management tool that operates, that helps different teams and companies work together. Before doing data, I did a lot of Salesforce consulting and also administration mm. at a couple different companies, different software startups. And so have a lot of experience working on RevOps teams, usually before it was even called RevOps at a lot of these companies. So yeah, really excited. Like I consider myself to be a super fan of the show. I, I love listening to you guys. So I've been listening every single episode and also to the podcast that shall not be named. I've been listening to those too. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love like the, uh, your question you sent in made some deep cut references to some old episodes. So I was like, yeah, he's listened deeply to these things. He knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, when you said super fan, Brandon's face got terrified. So Elliot, are you sneakerhead? Yeah, look at that. I am. Yeah, I got some Jordan 1s, 3s, and 5s yeah, back look there. So sweet. just artfully displayed for the video that <laughs> will know. never be used. <laughs> I know it's such a savage a podcast, but uh, yeah, big sneakerhead. I've got like 15 pairs of shoes in the room with me right now. So nice, that's awesome. I like that you're a sneakerhead, but then you're wearing like a button down. So I just imagine <laughs> like it's like just full button down with like the pocket up here, and then just like, <laughs> like Jordan shorts and, and like it, Air Ones below. Right? You know, yeah, that's exactly. not far off. I'm wearing Air Max 270s right now, so it's not far nice. off. I have no idea what any of that means. I'm a dress shoes only sort of guy. Dress so. shoes only. Wow, okay. I mostly wear dress shoes, dude. Like that's you know you gotta dress up. You gotta you come with this much swagger wearing jeans, and tennis <laughs> shoes. You know, you gotta, it's my kind of drip. Is that how the kids use that phrase? That's how the kids that, use it. Did I do it? Did I do it appropriately? <laughs> okay. All right. This is derailing really quickly. This week. <laughs> um, okay. So this week we're going to talk about. This is super exciting. We're going to talk about adding product usage data to your CRM because Elliot is a data nerd and a data scientist and data things, and he's also got a background in Salesforce, obviously. And this is a really important topic, particularly when you're thinking about churn and upsells. So Elliot, I know you're in the midst of this project right now, I think it'd be fun to just go through where you're at in the process, how you're thinking about it and see what we can do here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we just launched Salesforce three weeks ago now. Oh, Oh, from HubSpot oh, to Salesforce. Okay. So like brand new org, all these processes are brand new to us. We're a very small company, like 80 people. And so we kind of like wanted to get ahead of the game, getting product data into the CRM nice. quickly. Yeah, I would I say three weeks after launching Salesforce is pretty far ahead Seriously. of the game in getting product data. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, we're still early on. So like our platform is kind of like a virality based product. And so we get a lot of product data. And so we're trying to pipe that into different accounts, leads, 
in order to like score things and then also get like a customer engagement score on all these different contacts and such. So it's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. I've been doing a lot of product data to CRM implementations over the last few years. And I feel like it's kind of a buzzword right now, right? Everybody wants to get it in, but nobody knows how to action it. And so that's why, yeah, hoping to talk about that today, about action product data. That's the big thing, right? So, but let's start at the top because we're going to label this episode like PLG just so we get all the the clicks that... (laughs) Put all the keywords in there, all the buzzwords. PLG, PLG, PLG. Like, just sell some software, all right? Just sell some software. (laughs) So let's start at the top, though, because to frame the question of how, you know, how do you action it, you first have to start on, like, what data do you need and and get that all mapped out, then go through the process of getting it pushed into the system. And then ultimately, once you've gotten all of that done, how do you present it, make it actionable, drive the right behaviors? But all of that starts with the foundation which is what data can you get and what data do you actually need in the system? So take me through your process of sort of defining your data universe for what product data you're going to put. Yeah, for sure. I think like, honestly, people make the biggest mistake at this phase where they're, they're going way too fast in the implementation and they don't slow down and actually ask all the stakeholders what they need, right? So I actually stole this from you guys, but I think you gave the recommendation where you go to your stakeholders, you show what the data universe looks like, all the different data points, And then you let them think about it for like a week or two, right? Say, hey, head of sales, how would you use this data if you had it? What would you use it for? How would it change what your SDRs and AEs are doing day to day? And if they don't have a good answer for that, I would almost argue like maybe it's not a good time to put product data in, right? Because I've had so many implementations where we'll put in like monthly active users and all this stuff and no one looks at it, right? right. Really like this first step is key, like really slow down here gather all the data, like put it on a Google sheet, maybe write the metrics and then really have like all the go-to-market teams look at it and just go ham on it, right? Like really figure out what is most important. Yeah, I love that. By the way, I frequently advise on the podcast to like dump work on the VP of sales and the VP of marketing. So that sounds like something that I would say. (laughs) No, I love it. And I think it's important, like the way you said that is very critical when you provide that data over the other piece of this to like make sure is is not just like part of it is a brainstorming session, right? Like go through, come up with all the ways you could use this. And that's because your VP of sales is going to have crazy ideas. Your marketing going to have crazy ideas that you're going to miss. Like teamwork makes the dream work, right? But also to your point, Elliot, okay, you've listed all these things that you'd like to do with this data. Who's going to do it? Which team members, who's actually going to be responsible for doing those things? Do we have people who have capacity, bandwidth or could, could or responsibility? to do those things, right? Because you're likely going to have some fall off even between those two things. Like you'll have a list of ideas, but you'll have, well, you've got, we only got 80 people. We've got four CSMs, six CSMs, whatever that is. We don't have capacity to you know, upsell based on these three metrics. So let's not worry about that yet. But the who is going to use it piece is super, super important when you're at this stage. I remember that episode too. And then I remember also hammering home the point that like the, just making sure if we get it in there that you are actually going to use it. There was a very specific purpose because all the time it's like, it would be nice to have all this data. It would be nice. Yeah. It would be nice. It would be nice. And it's like, okay, tell me the actual like use case of what you're going to do with the data if I give it to you right now. Right. No, I would even take it a step further. So like, here's the data. Come up with how you want to use it. Now who's responsible to do it? Exactly. Start thinking about their KPIs once yeah. they have that data, right? If you can't come up with a KPI for that data, then it's not flushed out enough for me to worry about. There's probably other priorities that are more important for me right now, right? So, but if you can say, hey, we want sign-in data 
to in order to drive license adoption, which is going to help us upsell more licenses. We got a per license business model. The CS team is going to be responsible for watching that. If more users log in than we currently have under contract, whatever, then they're going to reach out and do an upsell. Their KPI is that they're going to have to do 10 of those a quarter, right? If you can get to that degree, you are ready for that data. Like that is a fully flushed out and some of it's going to be in flux and stuff, right? But then the KPIs piece can be as simple as anytime we see people use this feature, somebody from the CS team is required to reach out to them. Like the expectation is 100% of the time we're reaching out in this scenario. Cool. Great KPI. Let's move it forward, right? But right now you're flushing this out and like to, to your point, Elliot, take your time. Flush this out fully at this stage because there's going to be a lot of stuff flowing around here and the ideas are going to be a lot and you're going to have to prioritize and this is going to help you triage some of that. Yeah. Um, And I had a quick question for you guys on this part because this is definitely like a cross-functional thing, right? Where it's like data teams are in there, product teams maybe, RevOps is a huge player in this space. How do they all work together? Because like I like how you talked about like roles and responsibilities is really important. I've always found that this is a gray area and like almost no one wants to own it. Maybe that's harsh, but like I'm trying to figure like how does RevOps work with data, work with product on an initiative as big as like getting product data into Salesforce? Yeah, it's a great question. I've done it and more project management is the way I would approach it, right? So you're the especially because there's a lot of translation that's gonna have to happen in this process and you're uniquely qualified to do that translation. So like obviously project managing them coming with ideas, the KPIs, the ownership, the responsibilities, all of that stuff is you have to hold them accountable to doing that, right? And then on the inverse understanding how they want to use it because somebody has to go back to data and product and explain to them, not just, hey, I need this data in. Engineering needs to understand why. The data team needs to understand why, right? And I think that's also like, I think this is a great question because I think that's a miss. I think a lot of times the RevOps or even sales will go to the data scientists and just say, hey, put this metric in Salesforce. And then it happens. And then three months later, the data scientist is like, oh, that's how you wanted to use that? I could have given you these three other things also. Like that probably would have been helpful. And we're just like missing that collaboration. Whereas if you own this as a project manager and like take the time to sort of explain business use case for this to the teams that are actually going to be doing the the hard-coded labor, you're going to get a better result. And they're going to feel more involved in the process and want to support you more, which is an added bonus, right? For me, like a, a key piece of it is it's all outlined in your project like brief. And then you have that project kickoff and then you're getting agreement on that call. But I still think that's not even enough because there's plenty of times where we've done then three months later, the owner goes, wait, oh, I was responsible for that or, you know, so sending that follow up email, like the meeting recap, and then it's yeah, documenting it so that when someone does say, oh, wait, who's responsible for that? And you can say, remember this meeting that we had? Here's the email. You're actually on the hook for it. And don't use it as like a gotcha. Use it more as a, hey, like just as a reminder, we actually went through all this before. You probably weren't paying attention in the meeting. Don't say that. Yeah, don't, don't do that. You know that's the <laughs> don't truth. Don't do that. Right, you know yeah. that's the truth. You were on TikTok looking at stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I get my TikToks two weeks later on Instagram like an adult. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks later. Uh, but it's really important to take your time at this place. That's like the, probably the number one piece of advice, right? And think of yourself as the project manager. Take the time to get everything right on the front end, but also to explain it to the back end. By the way, Brandon will know the name, but this is a thing that I learned from actually failing with um, Nick Zazoya at Revenue.io, who's a legend of an engineer, Salesforce engineer. And a lot of, we worked together on a lot of projects over a couple of years. And early on in my working with him, I'd be like, you know, can I get this push here? Can I get this push here from the product, all these things. And he would do it. And then finally, like at one point this, it happened where he went, oh, that's how you want to use that. Like I could have given you X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I'm a moron. 
why haven't I taken the time to just like include you in this and explain this process to you? And then moving forward for like two years, we would jump on calls and I'd be like, hey man, like here's how the sales team wants to use this, right? Here's what we actually going to do. Yeah, here's our point. goals exactly. with it and stuff. Nice. And almost every time he would come back with, yeah, I could do that. And also, would it be helpful if we do like this and this and like with it or like this way? I'd be like, oh my God. Just making me so much better at my job because it's outside the box. He understands the data better than I do. So I'm getting most out of it that way. So you can maximize your, your gotcha. productivity. So it sounds like like context is king, right? Like you have to make sure that the data scientist or analyst is involved and knows the business well enough. And then to Brandon's point, you have to be like ruthless in, in how you follow. Maybe not ruthless, but you have to follow up like a fiend, right? Oh, yeah, Constantly exactly. telling people like, hey, who's responsible? Who's accountable? Let's keep this ship going. Yeah, Train. project manage the heck <laughs> out of it. By the way, my pro tip on this too is... And this is just personal preference, but don't set up one big damn meeting with like, here's the VP of marketing, the VP of sales, data, product, like nine people in the room to talk about this. It will not be productive. Like you just do a whole bunch of like three person meetings and push them each to do their like in the right order because it'll just be more valuable. You'll get more out of it that way. The moment you get nine people in a room on a video, like on, in a room, I mean, on a video call. Seven people are immediately on Instagram or TikTok, right? So it's just how the world. So yeah, like take the time yourself and do them one to one. Okay. So you've got your universe defined. You've decided here's all the data that I want. Here's it, everything that is available. You've communicated all of it. That's all defined. Okay. Now you got to figure out how to actually get it into Salesforce. How are you guys pushing it in Salesforce? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So this I think is key because you guys kind of talked about this before, but if you come up with a process that's way too complicated, and you can't change it and iterate on it, it's almost going to be useless, right? Because like, that's what I've seen many implementations where the process is so hard to update the metric that the GTM teams are like, hey, forget about it. Like, I don't even want to deal with this anymore because it's so yeah. hard. And so we try and find like the easiest solution. And so we've been using a reverse ETL solution hooked up with our data warehouse that just pipes the data in every day or every hour. Like, like an Alteryx sort of thing? sort of. I don't, you want me to shout out vendors? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't care. Is it, is it Pendo? Is it Alteryx? <laughs> no, it's like High Touch is a good one. Census is a good one. Okay. So vendors like that, like they make it really easy to connect to your data warehouse and then push it into an object, right? Whether it be a custom object in Salesforce or something like the account, your admin just creates the fields on their end and then it pipes it in every day, every hour kind of thing. Nice. Yeah, so I, I've done it with Pendo in the past and, and actually Alteryx now, but similar case, right? We're just creating an object, pulling all the data over, which is relatively easy. The only catch to that is that I'm assuming in your case too, you had to have engineering support to push stuff to the data warehouse. Yeah, sorry, I should clarify. Yes, yeah, definitely engineering support. <laughs> it was set up before I got here, so I was thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say, how did you get a data warehouse full of data with nobody pushing data to it? I said that because this is just a, maybe a rough opinion, but I think it's hard to give engineers all the context and it's hard for them to buy into this kind of project in my opinion, right? Because it's just not something that they're yeah. really interested in. I think it's right? very like, fair, yeah. CRM devs, like they're kind of few and far between because most engineers want to, you know, be building awesome React components and exactly. cool backends. Like they don't yeah. care as much about CRM. Yeah. So that's why I'm hesitant because it, it's hard all. to get buy-in from them sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think by the way, the only thing that I would say on that is that the other thing that engineers like to know is that people are using their what they built like genuinely actually care that people adopt because like they feel, I mean, as they should, right? Like if I build a, if I open a restaurant, nobody comes, that's disappointing for me. But if I open a restaurant, a whole bunch of people come, then I open a good restaurant. It's the same idea. Like if I build a feature or help build a, you know, a product that nobody's using, that's pretty disappointing. So if you come at this also with the standpoint of like, a lot of it is usage metrics because custom like product usage data will sort of show what features are they using, what features are they not. 
And that will both be rewarding for your engineer team as well as can be used to inform how they decide what to build in the future to make sure that they're building things that will be adopted and used, right? So as much as like the business side won't necessarily be a good selling point, although by the way, I've, I've met some engineers who like love the business side and that's my favorite thing in the world. Those, those folks <laughs> Few the and far between though. They, they, sure. But they're awesome. <laughs> they're yeah. awesome when they do, right? Like it's just like, oh man, you found your person. But if you're having that trouble, like sort of embracing that this is not just for the business side, this is also for the product team, right? I would agree with that, but I would temper it with I feel so there are a lot of consumers of a data warehouse and usually it's the flashy end consumers like a data scientist doing an ML model or a large language model, you know, like that's the rage today. They usually take priority over like a humble data analyst who's just trying to get data into Salesforce. But I do agree with you. Like they love to see their work being used for sure. Yeah. Okay. So you guys use that, which is would be integration by third party, right? It's how you define that. So no direct integration, not like a manual process. I've done this in the past. I wouldn't recommend it, but I've, I've actually seen a lot of like, hey, we'll export this once a month in a spreadsheet and then import it into Salesforce. Stay away from that. <laughs> Run away from that. Like you'll get that. The other piece of this is what what will kick off this project is somebody will say, we need to get user data in Salesforce. We need to use it X, Y, and Z ways. We want to do this next week. And the only way to get that next week is product is going to send me an export and I'm going to create the, the object in Salesforce and I'm going to import against it. And then I'm going to put it in their views, right? It is a, but once you do that, here's the problem. Once you do that, that is a good enough solution. I'm doing quotations for everybody on the podcast. That is a good enough solution to where nobody will ever want to invest resources into doing it the right way because you totally. cannot, like they're getting the data that they want, they, all the things, and they don't understand that this is eight hours a month for you. That you have to import this <laughs> for eight hours a week. And it's frustrating and terrible and it could all break at any given day if one person doesn't show up for work. And so like that, creating that good enough solution will hinder you from doing this the right way. So drag your feet, say absolutely not, don't do it. <laughs> it's like the, uh, what do you guys say? Like when you have to like schedule an export of a Salesforce report every single week to somebody, that takes time, right? It's like that's, oh, yeah. that's 30 minutes out of your week and like that's a pain. And so in this case, oh, yeah. it's like slow down to speed up kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Slow down and speed up. By the way, quick shout out. Have you guys ever used Census? Yes, because of you. <laughs> yeah, because of me? I knew that. Nice. And have you ever used Coefficient? Yes, because of you. Also, be- all right, all right, I knew that was coming. Uh, coefficient, you can connect it to your Google Sheets and then you can like have it auto schedule a daily refresh. You can also do the Salesforce Data Connect. Coefficient, you can have it send an email out to people on a scheduled thing. So you never have to do that again for people listening. I'm going to save you like three hours a week. Set that up. I have so <laughs> many scheduled reports that send out on like a daily basis and I never do anything. And I think people think I spend like six hours doing it every day. It's awesome. So, and I get no money from them whatsoever. Just, <laughs> I'm just trying to save the ops team a bunch Spread of the good word. Yeah, it took me a lot of Googling to find that out. So, so I highly recommend it. Anyways, okay. But you can't do that with the data import. You can't, you know, you can't do that that way. So, all right. So you've got the, the you've got all of the stuff to find. You know the fields you want it. You know how you're going to use it. You know who's going to use it. You know the KPIs that they're going to do. You've got the engineering team involved with the data warehouse. You've got the integration set up between a third-party tool. You've built it. All the data is flowing in. And one thing you noted, Elliot, uh, is do a custom object. Can you talk more about that? Like why custom object versus pushing it directly to a field? What's your logic there? Yeah, for sure. So for me, it kind of depends on how your software is set up, right? Maybe an instance of the software can be related to, or multiple instances can be related to the same account. And so for that reason, you can't pipe it onto the account object, right? You'd need to create like a junction object of some sort. I think it actually declutters it a bit. If you're yeah. putting, you know, I've seen Salesforce orgs that have hundreds of account fields on it. 
And so if we're putting 20 more on for analytics, like there's no one's going to look at those fields. And so for me, like it simplifies the process a bit. And then also it holds you accountable, right? So if the data team is accountable to keep those fields up to date, it's just much easier to say, hey, you guys have to control, you know, this organization underscore underscore C object. And, and you know, it helps like drive accountability. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think if you have a really simple org and really simple product, like sure, pipe it straight to wherever. But otherwise, the, the custom object thing, I think it's a great point. Like it's valuable. Build it out. Take the time. I mean, it's going to take you a little more time. You're going to have to build the in, like pushing, mapping everything over to the right objects so that the data shows up where you want it to show up. But it's going to take you a little more time. So let's talk about that. Now, actually... How do you make, like, where do you put the data? Why do you put it there? How do you get it in the hands of your team so that they use it? What are you guys doing with that right now? Yeah, so we're not there yet, but I'd love to talk okay. to you about, like, kind of my, my vision for it. I just yeah, had yeah. a good mentor of mine just mentioned how they're using a product in their CRM. He talked about where he would actually make product data fire off these chatter posts and then include and tag the sales rep or the CSM saying, hey, I'm tagging you for XYZ reason. Go do this action to create an upsell opportunity or to save an account. And so they came up with a list of 30 different like alerts where it's like, you know, if their monthly active users drops below this, or they have this many free users come on, then they fire off this chatter post. And I find, I mean, I'm fascinated by that. I wonder if it's a good idea, like if that would work. No, I'm a little hesitant about the chatter post just because of the impact on the reporting, right? So how are you going to hold people accountable to doing this or have visibility into how frequently these things are happening if it's a chatter post? That would be my big concern there, right? And Because in general, I like the idea. I would take the exact same concept personally and switch it to tasks. I would have it fire off an open task every time. That way I can, because I can mm. do sweet, sweet reporting on open tasks, uncompleted tasks. I can do volume of tasks by create date. So I can start to see like, am I over leveraging this? Am I getting too many? Am I overwhelming the team? Are they not doing them? Like those are the things I actually want to watch. I don't think I can do that with chatter posts, right? Like, mm, yeah. It's just not like a scalable point, reporting yeah. thing in that. And with the tasks, the chatter posts are great. I can put them on the homepage, but I can also do that with tasks. So I can put it right in front of them yeah. when they log in. I didn't um, think about that. Yeah, and like a specific task type would also allow me to then like filter these out too, right? So, it's but like it's, it's the exact same thing, just switch it to tasks instead of chatter post. It's actually probably easier to build for, for what it's worth. <laughs> like I've got a flow yeah. that does that if you need some help. I got a flow for that. That's super. Yeah, so like basically we would like come up with a criteria where, yeah. and, and again, we don't want to like add in more noise for our sales reps or CSMs, right? We just want to figure out really good things that they can action on and then create a task on the account or the contact to hopefully with the end goal of like, you know, driving upsells, renewals, you know, new business, that would be the goal, like converting free trials to paid trials. That would, those would be the end goals. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other piece of that, that I think like sales reps everywhere right now listening to this are probably like, oh my God, he's going to like send me a million things to do. What a pain in the ass. I am going to send you a million things to do, but here's the caveat. Once you do them, you just hit complete on the task and it's logged in Salesforce. You don't have to like, I know that you did it. You don't have to log any activities. It's basically automatic. So you can just work through your list, do your job, hit complete, complete, complete. All of that is logged so we can see how awesome you are and brilliant you are. You don't even have to think about it. You could just crush the day and it just makes my activity reporting easier too. So like, I'm a big fan of that approach. I think there's like aha moments that some sales reps have. Like I, I remember at a previous company, we were doing a customer engagement score that we would put onto the lead for a free trial. And basically it just helped, it helped reps prioritize leads better, right? And yeah. hard to see that the people that were interacting and engaging with the free trial closed a lot higher. So they were making more money by going for those leads. And they actually would start coming to us, like asking like, hey, like, can you add this to it? Like, this would be helpful. Like the- Get some wins early. 
Yeah. 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 And it builds momentum. Exactly. Well, and this is where I'll say it before Brandon says it because he's going to say it just to irritate me. So I'm going to throw myself under the bus. This is where Slack is actually a good thing. Oh, it's actually useful. Yes. Share the shit out of those wins, right? Yeah. Like, especially early on. That's where Slack is actually helpful. Like, share wins, let everybody know how well this is working for Steve. So that way, everybody else knows that they should be doing it too if they want to make money. You got it. Yeah. You need that socialization <laughs> to get adoption. Can we do yeah. a Slack aside real quick? Yeah. Obviously. Yes. You can always do a Slack aside. I got to understand, man. Like, how much of your role is communication, Jordan? And how much time do you spend just waiting on someone to get back to you? Well, I'm on video calls about 20 to 25 hours a week. So from a comm standpoint, a lot of it's meetings. Other than that, all of my communication, if something is urgent, cell phone, call me, text me, right? That is my go-to. I will always, almost always answer the phone. And then if I don't need it right now, it can go to email, which when you ultimately like peel back the 10 years of Slack indoctrination that everybody has and think about how urgent you actually need the things you're asking for, 99% of the time, it's not that urgent. Like, it's not. You can wait four hours for it. You can wait a day for it. It's not going to slow you down. Email is fine. And you're not, like, you're going to not interrupt somebody's flow. Right. That, that's but you're, you're still letting that. people text you? You're, you're yeah, but, but the text has, like, you only go to the text if it's, like, an urgent, urgent thing. If you start texting me like, hey, I have a quick question, you're getting blocked on my phone. <laughs> that, that I'm not, just not going to respond yeah, to you. Yeah, like, yeah. no, you call or text if it's like, hey, I need this right now. I'm about to go to a board meeting and I need the answer to this question, right? Like, it's got to be understandably urgent. Those priorities yeah. are important, right? And, and that's, that's just fair. because for ops people particularly, we have so many people to support and so many people coming to us for little questions, big questions, big projects, small projects all day, every day. But we also need a lot of like dedicated time to frankly get into like a flow state and do our role. And the Slack communication approach where everything is just, let me just ping them, let me just ping them, let me just ping them. It interrupts that if you don't set appropriate boundaries. And I think it can be used appropriately, but most companies don't use it appropriately. They just let it be the wild, wild west and it just interrupts everybody's day. So which becomes counterproductive. That's my thought on it. (laughs) I think like, I don't have a good rebuttal. The only thing I would say is like, I think you kind of nailed it where you do have to use it wisely yourself, right? So like muting people, turning off notifications (laughs) for a couple hours, totally fair. For me, I kind of see it as like an escalation path, right? So if it's critical, you can text me for sure, right? But only like four people at my company have my phone number and that's intentional. (laughs) And then if it's less important, Slack me. If it's much more like a bigger project, email me. I kind of view it as like an escalation path. But I've seen like, I've just worked at a lot of companies where like we all texted each other and it drove me nuts where it's like, oh, yeah, then, oh, exactly. My wife is texting me like, like, where does it end? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But like, that's the same way I feel about Slack. And to your point, like, I, and I've said this before, it's not that I fundamentally dislike Slack. In, in theory, I love it as a tool. It's, I don't think Slack is the problem. I think the way we use Slack is a problem, mm. right? And I could, because if, if it was used appropriately as an escalation tool to exactly what you're saying, where people only used it, you know, in the appropriate situations, hell yeah, big fan. It's a great tool. It's super easy to use. Love the gifts. Everybody knows I love memes and gifts. So like, obviously, I would <laughs> Me too. Like, so yeah, like in that scenario, sure. But I've just never experienced that. Like not at a single company. People, I, I work with a lot of companies and they'll always ask me, can we add you to our Slack channel? I go, absolutely not. Like I, I do not, <laughs> I don't have no involvement in any of this. So yeah, until we get used, to, I mean, I'm sure there was some learning curve with email when email came out and it probably took mm-hmm. years for us to figure out how to use that appropriately. And so I'm sure the learning curve will come back to earth and maybe I'll re-download Slack again, but 
until that day, we will see. Anyway. I just feel like, I mean, I run the design team here. I run the product marketing team. I run the demand gen team. I run the ADR team here. And I feel like if I didn't have Slack, I, I can't just keep getting onto calls with all these people. And my team knows that if I'm in a meeting, I don't look at my Slack. So they get backed up, but then I get to everything at once and I crank things out without having to, all right, let me call Emily. All right, now let me call Renee. All right, let me call Catherine. Now it's like, all right, let me just Slack them real quick and I can like multitask and I can now help them make these decisions that they need or get them their information. And, and half the time it is, you know what? I don't need that anymore, Brandon, Never mind. And it's like, okay, I can ignore that Slack. But it like, I would imagine it would be really hard or I would be a, such a big block for my team if we did not have Slack. I think you would adopt very quickly to using email appropriately. Like, cause I mean, that's when I went off Slack, which has now been almost two years, you get much better very quickly at being very communicative, informative in your email communication. So there isn't, it eliminates the back and forth that Slack almost creates by the way we Right. So when I shoot emails off, like I'm writing, like, here's my bullet points. Here's everything you're going to need to know to do this. Let me know if you have any questions instead of like, Hey, I have this next line. Hey, here it is. Here's bullet one. Any questions? And then like bouncing back <laughs> and forth through that essentially what is a meeting in an IM. Right. So when I switched over to it, like there was a learning curve again, for sure to get back to like using email the way that we used to use email six years ago or seven years ago. But it hasn't delayed any project I've worked on. Like just period has not caused any delay. And it makes my life a lot easier. So I have no regrets about this. I will not. I will. I have said this before. I will die on this hill. Mandatory to use Slack. Well, we'll trigger you, Jordan. Okay, we'll start talking about it. <laughs> okay, so you've built it. Now you've got the automated task. You put everybody's hands. The last thing you got to do, track the usage and go back to you know what you did at the start, track the impact. Are we actually meeting the KPIs that we had our team set? How is this actually moving the needle for us as a business? Is it helping our retention? Like ideally, you should have some goals that are related to that, right? Like this project is going to help retention by 3%. It's going to help increase upsell by XYZ amount, quarter over quarter, you know, whatever that is. Then you got to create the reporting that's actually going to track the impact of that. Which, by the way, the tasks piece actually can kind of help in that because you can do some flagging for like this upsell came four weeks after this task came in that flagged it as a potential upsell, right? So you can sort of see what spurred that. You can like an attribution. So yeah, we, we could talk about attribution. I don't think you guys want to, but we could talk yeah, about it. I have no problem talking about attribution. It's the three other guys, guy. Three right? episodes ago, I did a whole hour of attribution talk. Three episodes ago. like ago. barely even scraping the surface. Well, it's a whole hour. Look, Ellie and I can do Ellie and I can do our I just didn't invite you guys because I wanted it to be fun for the audience. My question would be like, you know, like if these, le if like things like convert and close or upsells happen, how would you attribute like that task helped contribute to that thing closing. That's where I'm a little hazy and I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I would probably, there's a couple ways you could do it. If you're using campaign attribution, you could set this up to like flag them onto an upsell campaign, right? That's like product usage campaign. And you can do that automatically in Salesforce if you're using Salesforce campaign attribution stuff. If you're not using Salesforce campaign attribution stuff, probably still set it up that way because you're probably not using the campaign object and it's a e really easy way to trigger that. So basically you go, if this task was completed and an opportunity was created, create a campaign member that's tied to this thing. So you can just see this is where that came from and then relate it to it. So you can then create your reporting on that. But that would be the simplest and like easy, low down, dirty way to do it. Otherwise, I mean, actually there's a lot dirtier ways to do that. That would be the, the, the probably a better version because you could also do some weird stuff where you're having like 
the reps put in lead sourcing manually and that sort of thing, but I would probably not trust that. So I would just use the same like automation process you're using to do some campaign attribution. You don't trust manual uh, data entry from your reps? Trust the verify, Brandon. Trust yeah, yeah, the yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the president said that. <laughs> I, you know, like the best thing is you learn this like early in your career. You're like, <laughs> yeah. That you're like, yeah, like sales reps will be really insulted if I tell them I don't trust their data entry. And then like eight years in, you tell some sales rep, like, I don't trust you to do that. And they're like, I wouldn't trust me to do that either. They know who they are. They're not putting yep. that data in the system. Yeah. Yep. Which is great. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same. Um, okay. All right. Anything else on this before I slide us into our final, final little... Uh... I think just like you said, Jordan, like at the end, like you need to evangelize this, right? So shout it from the rooftops that, you know, shout out the wins really loud and clear. And then yep. just iterate on it. Like like I said, like it, this can't be a slow process. Like it has to be something that can quickly be iterated upon. Yeah. And like if you're playing this out correctly then you're going to get most of the metrics, but there's no way you're going to get all of them. And also things just change over time, especially in CRM, right? So I would just say like, be prepared to iterate on this. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Super good point. You clearly listen to the podcast because that's my favorite thing to say at the end of everything is iterate, iterate, iterate. And I was totally going to miss it today. And you, you <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. That was, that's awesome. All right. Well then, Brandon, you, you look like you wanted to speak. Oh, I was just we missed my favorite thing at the end, which is document. Just document, document, document. <sighs> God, yeah. Oh, come oh on, don't God. roll your eyes at me. So boring. <laughs> document, so document, boring. document. No, I actually do document, 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 document. <laughs> uh, okay, so, and then train. Train the team, train the team, right. enable. Document, enablement, document, enablement. Ebbinghaus, forgetting curve, document, enablement. Uh, <laughs> I love, love how you yeah. slipped that one in there. Right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta slide that one in. <laughs> Everybody go Google that afterwards. If you don't know what it is, go listen to any of our other episodes we talk about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then it's time for this week on LinkedIn. And I pulled up the document. Elliot can verify that we found that I didn't have the question beforehand. So it was, <laughs> where's this that is, document uh, at? Where's yeah, where is that document with the questions on it? So nobody has read this. All right, here's the question. I re-listened to your pricing episode, and it's so good. That must have been from the podcast. That not the other names. podcast. Yeah, it's like 50 <laughs> episodes ago. Okay, so this could be a this could be a deep cut reference here. We are making some changes based on the research you guys recommended because our customers' willingness to pay is higher than we thought. Oh, congrats, good for you! Congrats, bro! Yeah. By the way, I know it's a guy. His name is Ahmed. He said it's fine to use his name. Don't ever come at me for saying bro. Uh, <laughs> do you have any recommendations for how to roll out a price increase to existing customers? Ooh. Yeah, it's a good question. I have thoughts on this. Me you too. You guys want to go first? I can go first. I really believe in grandfathering people in, right? So if you've had early customers that trusted you and you were a small startup, like why the heck would you be raising prices on them, right? I've seen this time and time again where it's like, yep. you know, maybe it's executives or the VP of sales wants to increase everybody to get easy expansions. I just don't see it that way. I think you got to grandfather people in. They took a chance on you. And if your pricing was wrong at the beginning, like that's on you. It's not on them. Yep. I cannot disagree with that. The only caveat I would say is that there will be a point five years in the future, hopefully, where you will remove the grandfather pricing just because your accounting team is going to say, oh my God, I don't want to manage this anymore. But until then, inflation. Like, yeah, inflation plus like there's going to be like price book considerations when you fully get like CPQ set up and all that stuff where you have to build all these old price books so you can do renewals appropriately. There's going to be some things that sort of like throw a wrench in there just from an operations standpoint five years in the future. But when you're small and scrappy, yeah. 
grandfather that, move forward, raise prices, new ones, and, and do it well. And then when you do get to that point, just over-communicate the heck out of it. That is the key. That is the and also like let them know beforehand that it's coming. Yeah, right? like 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 a year. Don't just spring it on them. Like if yeah. you're grandfathering people in, like let them know. Hey, I would even by the way, this is an opportunity to tell them to like Elliot. I love what you said, and like hey, you might see that our pricing increased. Don't worry, we're going to continue to offer you your grandfather pricing for the next three years. Right, like just go ahead and communicate that out. Right then, just let them know. Like this is yep. you're you're good. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, whatever it is. They're gonna be like, great. I feel cared for. You guys love us. This is wonderful. And then, again, six months before it actually happens, like, hey guys, as a reminder, prices are set to increase. Now, obviously, you're on a ten percent discount. And the old pricing was forty percent lower. We're not gonna jump you all the way up. But here's what a tiered increase is gonna look like. Yeah. Right? So and this like, this kind of brings up like the Reddit API pricing debacle. Are you guys hearing about this right now? No, tell us about no, something. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is like a, t a perfect example of how not to do pricing, right? So Reddit is increasing their pricing exponentially, like in orders of magnitude for API calls. And it's going to force like a lot of third-party developers to shut down their sites that use Reddit. And it's just oh. a terrible, like it's also, they give you a short time frame. They're giving you 30 days to either accept the price or just be churned. And it's just, it's like a class Jeez. example of how not to change pricing. Is this why? So I saw like a news article that said like just thousands of subreddits are going dark. That's why? Yeah, that's why. Because of this pricing increase, it's it's forcing people. So there's this third party app called Apollo that you can use to look at Reddit. And it's just so much better than their app. And that publisher is going under right now. Like they're not going to be able to pay. They'd have to pay Reddit $20 million a year or something like that to keep it going. So they're like, hey guys, wow. we can't pay it. Like we're, we're going to be done June 30th. Sorry. Wow. So don't do that. That's the lesson don't for this question. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's terrible. That's Wait, wild. Yeah. So some of the other things that I see that companies get wrong about pricing is like not being very clear that pricing is going up or when it's going up or why it's going up. So I think a simple model is, I mean, first off, just thank them for being a customer, right? Like we're delighted that we've been able to serve XYZ service for you for the last five years. And then you got to be very clear, pricing is going up and it has to be around value though, right? Like pricing's going up because our costs have gone up. Like that's the classic one, but it's like our costs have gone up, but here's the additional value that we have been able to deliver to you because of this, right? And, and like, it has to be a value conversation. And, yeah. and then, yeah, we, or, and then you can also say something like, we haven't raised our prices in so many years, or you were already grandfathered into this other pricing in the past. But then I do think, to Elliot's point, you do have to do something nice for them and say, since you've been a customer for this long, we're going to grandfather you in for the next year. But like, I think if you grandfather them in just like forever, I do think that is tricky. So just say next six months or for the next year or whatever, or until your next renewal, or we're going to give you a still a 10% discount instead of a 20% discount. Yeah. Or like what a, do we're something nice for them still, yeah, but yeah. you can still get that price increase yeah. from your customers, especially if you have tens yeah. of thousands of customers that are underpaying you by 50%. That's a lot of money for your business. Yeah. So well, I, Brandon, I do think there's a good way to increase that price still. To counter that though, like isn't the promise of SaaS that you're paying in perpetuity because we believe you're going to improve the platform over time. Whereas like when I, when I bought that, Photoshop that back the in the day. That is the whole premise of SaaS, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, okay, what, what do you mean by that? 
No, that is the whole premise. That is, okay. that is you're exactly right. right. Yeah, like when you used to buy a CD-ROM and yeah. it would, you like you bought what you got, and that was good, how it was going to be forever. It was never going to get updated. And yeah, the whole premise of SaaS is that I'm buying this, and you're going to continue to improve it, and I will reap the benefit of that. But That's I don't think the promise is the price will never go up, though. I think the benefit of SaaS is that we can, yeah, always uh, iterate, and you don't have to go buy the new latest version. And now you have the previous version that you just bought you know, a few months ago sitting on the shelf. I do think that is another big benefit of SaaS is you get that. But with that comes, yeah, you might have a little price increase instead of you have to buy a full new, you know, instance of the software or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The other piece of this that I would note, by the way, for them is that there's no universe. It's just not possible where, and, and this has to go in your math of should we increase pricing or not? where you increase pricing across your customer base and you don't churn some customers. You are going to. Yes, 100%. It's it's going to happen. And and it might be 5%, it might be 20%. I don't know what that's going to be, but when you're coming up with your new pricing and what that's going to look like, that has to be a part of the conversation. Don't assume, like, the question can't be, how can we do this and not lose anybody? Because the answer to that is not possible. You are going to lose somebody. You're going to piss somebody off. Somebody you're going to find out somebody who's mildly unhappy with you already that you didn't know was, and then they're going to. This is going to be the final straw. Like you are going to churn some customers because of it. There's actually some good data out there that if you increase your prices by five percent, you can actually afford to lose up to twenty percent, and right. you'll still be okay. But think about that. Only five percent likely. You're actually raising your prices a lot more than five percent, and likely you're not going to even lose twenty. Five percent is five percent is like sub CPI right now. It's, it's nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, like CPI, I think is like six point eight or some ridiculous thing. So Jeez. you know, yeah, we used I used to do like tied to CPI contracts all the time because people were like, "That's great, it's one point eight percent." I'm like, "Oh man, that's yeah. a bad contract now, isn't it?" <laughs> like, you, guys, <laughs> you guys regret that. <laughs> Because those are the ones I we used to redline them for people, and go, I would put in there like we'll increase by no more than five percent year over year, and yep. they'd be like, no, we can't do five percent. Let's tie it to CPI, and like we had <laughs> hundreds of contracts like that. Five percent is looking pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, when we had that fight. Uh, <laughs> all right, anything else on this? No. Yeah, nope. I mean, yeah, thank them. Tell them. Be clear that the price went up. Make it yeah, about grand, value. Grandfather them in, and take give care them something nice. Do something. Yeah. 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 Pat them on the back. Tell them you love them. Pull them tight. You know, pull them tight. Whatever, <laughs> whatever that looks like. You're going to get dirty. Everything you can. <laughs> All right. All right. By, by the way, yeah. that listener must be a long time. That was an early episode of this, the previous is, podcast. Yeah, but this is Anna's new list. So this is like the top of the list. So they, they, they went what, on a deep dive of like what's his name? episodes. Ahmed. No Ahmed. Idea. All right, Ahmed. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Ahmed's the man. All right, Elliot, thank you. This was awesome. Yes, thank you for this joining was great. We'll yeah. have to have you Thanks, back. Guys. It was fun to nerd out. Everybody best sounding guest we've had. <laughs> he, he's, got a, he's got a pro mic for sure. Yeah, yeah. best looking yeah. guest and everything. Look at that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I love like, the podcast, I, so I, 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 I was so stoked to come on. Thank you. I thought I made it weird with like the hold your customers tight thing, but like you calling Elliot the best looking guest made it so much it's a, it's, Look at this. It's, it's got the button up. I don't even have my button up shirt on yeah. today, you know? Yeah. 
He's, yeah. he's got his hair cut. I don't even have my hair cut. All right, I'm going to end this before Brandon's foot gets any deeper in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Elliot. Everybody, listen, if you enjoyed the episode, give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Send us your questions for this week on LinkedIn. Please write reviews for us. You can go to the website, ogopspod.com, to submit your questions as well as sign up for our newsletter, which is just memes. And if you like the memes, follow me on Instagram, yeah, Elliot on LinkedIn, Brandon on LinkedIn, and then at update the CRM on Instagram, Instagram is where the memes are posted as well as on LinkedIn, obviously. So do all those things in that order. I hope you got them all and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you.